I feel like every person has like a chip implanted them. Like, you know, when they buy a computer from Dell or whoever, you know, they install certain chips. I feel like an entrepreneur or a business person does have a certain type of chip where they can juggle many things at once. They can think quickly on their feet. They can make decisions and not regret them. And I do think that a business person or an entrepreneur, yes, can do that. And one who's also willing to take the chance, which is really an entrepreneur. They're right. willing to risk it all. The following is brought to you by Thrive, the end-to-end -end client experience platform that helps you get the job, manage the job, and get credit. Hey everybody, this is Gordon Henry at Winning on Main Street. And this week you get to meet an amazing guest, Brian Kugler, who owns not one, not two, but three small businesses. Since 1998, Ryan has launched Plan B, which helps manufacturers liquidate excess inventory, A5 Events, which organizes corporate events for large corporations and nonprofits to help raise funds with charity often, and Ideal Content, which works with Fortune 500 companies producing new and unique high-end marketing products, all under the roof of something he calls the Kugler Group. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Great intro. All right. Well, it's great to have you. And I'm, I'm just super excited because you're you've really done what a lot of people want to do, which is be, you know, kind of a mega entrepreneur. It's really, really exciting. So first, just tell the audience, you know, what do you do? Uh, I work. Uh, <laughs> I basically, like you said, you did a great intro. You're hired. Uh, I decided to juggle three companies at the same time, own three companies, which is uh, different. Instead of just doing one job, one thing, one task, one function, one post, I decided, you know what, I'm going to make your life exciting many years ago and have three different organizations, three different companies that I work at. I, I'm not like a silent owner or, you know, an investor or anything like that. I'm actually juggling all three companies every day with my other employees who all work all companies, which makes it exciting for them. And they do a wonderful job helping me as, you know, as the support team. I want to come back to the three businesses in just a minute. We're going to get into that in depth, but just to take you back to where you started, you, you started life. Well, let's tell it when you were a kid, did you dream of being an entrepreneur? Had you sort of become an entrepreneur? Uh, I, I think when I was a kid, I don't think I knew what the word entrepreneur was, nor did I think it was part of everyone's, you know, talk and <laughs> patter of that word entrepreneur, because there's a new set of words these days. Uh, I just wanted to work. I actually wanted to just like go to work, have a job, make money, spend money. I used to like go to school and carry a briefcase to work because I thought that was cool because I love that whole mock-up of that. And I got ridiculed for that. But, you know, I think uh, who, who's who's laughing now? Anyway, right. <laughs> I don't mean that disparaging thing. But so I that's really how it was. Did I think of owning three companies? No. I, actually, when I was younger, I wanted to be a director and be in film. Right. Right. Now, I understand you grew up in, I think, you moved to L.A. Where did you start out and how did you get Chicago. to L.A.? Chicago. So how did yes. you go from Chicago to LA and you did go into the movie business? A little, not, not really the business of making money, but the business of doing it as a hobby. But yes, I lived in Chicago and my parents got a divorce. So my mom moved to LA and I lived in Chicago with my father and my stepmother and I would go visit her and she was in PR. So she would do PR for films. So she'd always bring me to a set and I just thought it was the coolest thing. I mean, once you're on the set of a movie or you come to Hollywood, it's just, it's just, really cool. So I wanted to get into that. So then my father decided to move to LA, which I thought was, this is the greatest thing in the world. And basically moved near some movie studios and decided to take a summer where I didn't go to school and learn the movie industry and rode my bike to all these different movie studios and just rode on the 
the lot, as they call it, and watch them make movies and TV shows. And it was very, very educational. And what was your angle entering the movie business initially? Because you did have some work that you did in that, in that space, right? Yes, I, I, I basically was just learning. I was 13 at the time. So I was just <laughs> learning how things are done because I think the best education is watching and doing. Well, I couldn't do physically because it's illegal for a 13-year-old to be on a movie set working, meaning making money. And I tried and tried. And I'm like, can I just move this for you? And they're like, no, it's against the law, union laws, et cetera. But then I ran into, I was on the Cheers set, which was the number one show at the time. And Ted Danson was there and said, who are you and what are you doing? And very nicely, and I said, I want to be a director. And he gave me an opportunity of a lifetime and said, good, well, I'll tell you what, you write a little script, a short, and you can direct anyone on the set here in the movie. So with a short. So I basically made a two minute short of Woody Harrelson, Ted Danson, Kirstie Alley, and George Went. And it was very cute and fun and something a 13-year-old would make on their home video camera. And so from there, it kind of escalated. But I then took a different turn, you know, going to school and finishing school. What do I do now? And moved to Florida. And But I got into my first business was called DVA, which was kind of the backdoor of the movie industry of selling VHS videos from the studios to video rental stores. Okay. So how did you pivot from that to what you're doing now with the three companies that are under Kugler? Good question. So what we were doing when I finished school is I was, you know, we, I was in a family business in Florida and we were selling videos to Blockbuster Video, Hollywood Video back then when you rented movies instead of just turning on your TV. And basically as time evolved and people started not buying movies anymore, anyone who's listening was the last time you bought a movie and it all went streaming, meaning physical, So when people started streaming and downloading movies, I saw a change and said, well, I need to sell other products. I can't just sell something that's in a dying world, like a beeper or, you know, a a buggy whip. Those things aren't Mm -hmm. used anymore. So I saw that with VHS videos and DVDs and basically started selling items to anyone and everyone. So when you would sell a video to a retailer who would buy a video, whether it's a grocery store or mass merchant like Best Buy, that buyer bought a hundred other items. So I decided to expand my horizon to sell 100 other items times 1,000. So we now my business pivoted in selling any type of widget that a retailer carries in their store, anything from plywood at Home Depot to extension cords to tools to refrigerators to cups to mugs to plates to sheets to et cetera. Whatever it is, the business basically buys and sells that item. And that's the plan B now. That's yes. the plan, right? Plan B distribution business. So one part of plan B that I, I, I'm trying to understand is so if if a manufacturer or a wholesaler has excess inventory that basically they can't sell or they don't have time to sell, you buy it and then you find a way to sell it. You find a, a customer for that. Why is it that you can find a customer for it when the guy who manufactured it or wholesaled it to begin with can't find a customer for it? That's a great question. So plan B is really if plan A doesn't work. So any manufacturer, wholesaler, retailer, they always have a plan when they come up with a new product or any of your listeners that are selling something on Amazon. They go, I got this great new product. I'm going to invent it. I'm going to manufacture it. I'm going to sell it. Well, eventually, like in anything, there's evolution and things change. So either they're doing a product change or the product is just done and nobody's buying it anymore. And they always have some type of excess inventory, some inventory, surplus inventory, overstocks, whatever that does not move anymore. Well, we are the plan B. So we give new life to the product and we find new homes. Now, why us? It's our specialty. It's our niche. We work with retailers that are used to buying items that are lower priced and that they're done with, meaning that they want to expand on where other retailers might be done with it. 
And you can always give new life to anything from a bicycle that your kid's done with and you put it on the curb for someone else to take and they go, this is great. One man's gold is another man's trash. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that to be a really interesting point. First of all, that you pivoted from your original product to a product that were products that were more still selling, right? That, that you know, we shouldn't get locked into you know, our vision for a certain type of product that there may be, it was more like how you did it or, or the way you did it as opposed to the product you did it for and you pivoted that way. But this idea that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be the hottest product. It could be, it could be a secondary product. Like today, of course, iPhone is, is the hot phone, but there are still people who want maybe a flip phone or some other yeah. type of phone if it's cheaper, right? Yes. There's a market for it. There's, there is a niche, there's a market for anything, and that's what we found. Although at certain points, you do get to a point where there is no more market. People don't want it. Nobody wants 8-track track music anymore. So, right. um, But yes, we can usually find homes for things where others cannot because we have networked and expanded. And plus, I've been doing this for some you know, 29, 30 years now. We pretty much know of anyone and everyone that is looking for that type of item. And plus, because we're so well-known in what we do, people will call us and say, hey, listen, if you ever get this, call me. I'm interested. I'll buy it. Because they know that we're good finders and we're, we you know, procure dif different types of items. But yes, there's millions of products out there. And there is, if, if one retailer, one niche, one buyer doesn't want it, there's somebody else who does. It's kind of like a garage sale or yard sale. You're, you're done right. with it. You open it up to the public and someone walks in and goes, oh my God, I've been looking for this forever. I'll pay you double. So that's the distribution business. Let's turn to the events business. So briefly, what does the events business do? So when I, as a hobby, when I was, you know, started my life and started working and so forth, basically a friend came to me and said, hey, I'm putting on this, you know, charity run locally in LA. Can you just help out? We just need some volunteers. And I was reluctant and I said, okay, fine. And I started doing it and it became a fun hobby. It was kind of neat, you know, going and doing these charity events and helping these nonprofits and putting on events. And my role just expanded and I just took on more. And the event that I was helping with, I became the executive director of, of the actual nonprofit. And then word got around town in Los Angeles locally that I was a good event producer, that I knew how to put on a good event as well as my team. So then I said, interesting. Well, at the time when I you know, was turning on plan B and pivoting, I said, you know what, I'm going to start an event company because people are calling me and I'm going to start charging money. And it's just going to be a fun thing because it's kind of neat to do and it's a hobby and I get to do it in the morning on a Saturday or Sunday morning before my kids even wake up. And it was, it's just fun, the energy of putting on events. So I started an event company and we started out with one or two or three events. And then right before COVID, we got up to some 30 events a year. And it's basically something, it's almost just like a weekend job that I do. Sure, there's work to be done before the event, uh, which my team helps handle. And then on the weekend, we set it up and we're down five, six hours later. And it was fun gig. And then the third business is a marketing business. And, and what do you do marketing for? So marketing, we do high-end uh, marketing material for corporations. So basically what okay. we do is a corporation will come to us and say, hey, I need a really cool, snazzy, wow type brochure or, or some type of marketing collateral that they can send out. And really what we do is we make brochures that when they open, they play a video. So there's an actual video screen inside the brochure that plays, which the screen is like the size of your iPhone or smartphone, and it plays upon opening. So people's message can be communicated that way physically. Yes, it's always fun to send something, you know, via email and so forth, but not everyone opens it and it goes to spam. This is a way to really ensure that it gets into someone's hands. And plus it makes someone go, what is this? Because they're holding something that's playing a video with no wires connected, no cell phone 
phone and they want to they're like wow how's this working so it just kind of makes you makes whoever is the you know recipient go wow this company's cool whoever sent this to me so you have these three businesses is this a good strategy for other folks out there who are listening think hey what i should do is start and run three businesses because it'll give me a portfolio maybe there's some diversification one does well while the other maybe has not so good times uh is that a good strategy do you advise, uh, advocate for that for other people to try that if you have the brain power yes <laughs> so <laughs> i think it's good because if you look at any company any product any company that has products or services technically they're doing the same thing you go to mcdonald's and they're selling different types of hamburgers and chicken sandwiches and all that you go to a retail store, they're selling everything. So they are diversified. You go to you know, a movie studio, releases 12 movies a year in all different genres. They're not just focusing on one thing. So everybody is, has, has their niche, but in that niche, yes, they diversify. So yeah. I have diversified into three different verticals. And so that is the part I suggest even more is yes, you wanna have different products or services you offer, but to offer three companies in three different verticals, is kind of neat because it's not like I'm going to go home sad and go, hey, this, the industry's dying, the vertical or whatever I'm in, because I am in two other industries. I'm in an event business. I'm in a marketing business. So if one goes south, you know, for example, COVID, mm -hmm. okay, I own an event business. You can all figure out how my event business did during COVID. So the event business during COVID has died, completely right. dead. Right. If that was my only business, it'd be very sad for me. But I had two other businesses to fall back on, which helped kept my company, my employees, my support team going and financed and paid through this last year, 15 months. Right. So I find this really interesting. You use one team for all three businesses. It's the same. You got a marketing person who does marketing for all three distribution, distributional, the finance. So how does that work? Because they have to have the brain power and the sort of keep all the balls in the air, just like you do. Yes. Um, so I call it a layered company. And basically, we have the same five employees that are all doing the same, all three companies. So yes, the marketing person, when I give them tasks, I say, okay, this is for my event business. This is for the, you know, marketing business. This is for the, you know, wholesale business. And they do it. And I haven't had an issue. The same thing with my logistics person, who's my right hand person, who's basically operations. She is basically handling all three. And yes, we have a meeting for all three companies and she scurries off and doesn't does a great job and finances the only time it's ever a problem is sometimes ironically we will have a business that we do business with with all three companies then it gets a little confusing we go wait wait yeah. which company is this for again and that is very <laughs> rare but does happen but it's a good it's a good laugh in our in our company in our walls at that time right Right. That's great. Yeah. So I want to back up the camera a little bit and talk a little bit more about entrepreneurship. As you said, this this very hot word now, maybe didn't around, it wasn't around when we were all kids. Are there certain traits, certain characteristics, certain, you know, mindset that you think makes someone good or not good at being an entrepreneur? Should, should everybody be an entrepreneur? Uh, it's a good question. So it's the same if you ask me, if, is someone a good cook or is someone a good writer? I'm not a good writer. Okay, I don't know how to write that well. Sure, I can write a sentence, I can write an email, but I'm just not good at structuring words and telling a story. So when it comes to entrepreneurship or someone being a business person, I do feel that there are certain traits you need to have. Um, one, I think going to school and learning business, college, whatever is the best thing. Two, I think it needs to, it's, it's almost, I feel like every person has like a chip implanted them. Like, you know, when they buy a computer from Dell or whoever, you know, they install certain chips. I feel like an entrepreneur or business person does have a certain type of chip where they can juggle many things at once. They can think quickly. 
on their feet. They can make decisions and not regret them. And I do think that a business person or an entrepreneur, yes, can do that. And one who's also willing to take the chance, which is really an entrepreneur. They're right. willing to willing to risk it all. Mm-hmm. You know, me starting three companies around the same time at the same time, I was willing to take a chance and go, well, if one fails, one fails, it doesn't work. Okay, we move on. I'll start another one the next day. So you have to be willing to take a risk. You have to make quick snap decisions. Um, you have to be able to basically, you know, be willing to, to go with the flow and deal with business because in business, you are dealing with other businesses who have their own policies, their own rules. And you also have to adapt to that and just be able to move and pivot at any time. Right. Ryan, you mentioned, um, uh, training in our schools and how kids coming up should learn business. I, I'm curious about your thoughts on, on training in our schools generally now, are our kids being taught the right subject? Should we be doing something differently in our schools? You know, you, you hear a lot of stories about kids coming out and not having the right directions. You know, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? That's a good question. So I think that number one, I do, well, for the last year, I think schooling had a little pause. So mm. I can't really talk about that. But previous to that, from what I've seen from my two kids who've gone to school, I do not think that a business is literally taught in a high school or elementary school, which I can understand why. I do think it's taught more in a college. But I do feel that, and this is something that was requested from the school I went to, is that I think before someone finishes high school, there should be a course or a class that teaches someone how to lease a car, how to get an apartment, how to apply for credit cards, how to job interview. Now, I know some schools do teach that. If people are listening, go, well, my high school did it. That's great. But I know some in general don't, but some don't teach you how to fill out a, basically to buy a car, okay, or how to fill out a lease. Or sure, a job application, yes, I know they teach that, but I think there needs to be more things about that. Or how to just apply for a business license. I mean, when you want to start a business and you're an entrepreneur, there is so much you actually have to do. You have to call the city. You have to get a license. You have to fill this out. You want to be part of the Better Business Bureau. You want to start networking and joining associations. Because the biggest part about business is anyone can have an idea and go, hey, I want to create some new coffee cups. But A, you got to find the manufacturer. And you got to find the right guy and not get your money stolen. And then two, you also got to find the customer. That's the key. Who are your customers are going to buy the coffee mugs? Is it, are you going to sell them at a flea market, a local art show, or do you want to sell them to Target? How do you sell to Target? You know, and you just can't call up a Target store and say, I want to sell to you. There are so many gatekeepers. You cannot get through to people. And that's something else that needs to be taught too, is how do you get around this stuff? Right. Absolutely. So, you know, just picking up on that, should, should kids today go to college and get, you know, sort of your traditional liberal arts degree, or should they focus more on business, or should more kids today be going to like vocational schools and learning a trade like plumbing or electrician? Because, you know, it seems like there's a shortage of people who can do service type businesses in your house. Which which path do you recommend? You know, I've never had that question asked. So that's kind of a good one. I think whatever path they want to choose is number one. But I do feel that the latter of what you just said, which is you're right, there's not enough people who actually know how to handle do plumbing or electrical or fix or handyman or HVAC systems. I think that is a needed industry. I agree, especially with more people working from home now. That means more people are at home spotting and finding problems with their house and going, hey, I need this done. And yeah. it is, I will say, to find a, plum- a good plumber or someone who is a professional in what they're doing is hard because 
there's not enough out there. It's kind of like, in, in, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the 1800s and 1900s, there weren't enough doctors and lawyers, okay? Yeah, yeah. So that was a big push. Now today there's plenty. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so that's not a problem anymore, but you're right. But, and I think in the business world, I think there are enough people doing businesses so that's why I said I agree with the latter. I think that is that is an industry, a vertical that does need to be filled. And I can't wait for someone to professionally take it over and make like a, you know, a franchise or like, you know, in every city and state, they have the XYZ plumber or the XYZ air conditioning guy. But I know it's more localized. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, this is awesome. We're going to uh, go to a quick break and we'll be back in a minute with more from Ryan Kugler. Are you a small business owner paying too much in tax? My name is Mike Jezoshek, and I'm a CPA and host of the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast. What I want to introduce to you is our tax minimization program. All too often, we see small business owners when they think of tax, think preparing and filing tax returns instead of tax planning. That is why we launched the Tax Minimization Program. The goal of our program is to make sure that small business owners are paying the least amount in taxes as legally possible. As part of our program, you'll have access to a library of tax strategies along with implementation guides. So not only do you get to understand a tax strategy, but you'll have the guide on how to implement it in your business today. You also have unlimited access to our team to ask general tax questions. Have a tax strategy you wanna run past us or a tax situation that came up, feel free to reach out to our team. We also do monthly group training sessions and have a private Facebook group and so much more. To join our tax minimization program, go to taxsavingspodcast.com forward slash tax. That's taxsavingspodcast.com forward slash tax and be on your way to saving the most taxes as legally possible. This episode of Winning on Main Street is brought to you by Thrive, the end-to-end client experience platform that includes everything small business owners need to meet their customers' expectations. Thrive's award-winning and fully mobile interface delivers technology previously reserved for big business to the fingertips of small business owners nationwide. Thrive's built specifically for small business, but there's nothing small about what it can do. Thrive handles your entire customer experience, helping business owners reach more customers, stay organized, get paid faster, and generate online reviews, all from a single device or screen. To learn more about Thrive, visit winningonmainstreet.com and click on Get a Demo. When it comes to software to run your business, there's no comparison. Check out Thrive today. We're back with Ryan Kugler having an awesome conversation about entrepreneurship and, and Ryan's incredible background, starting three companies and managing three companies. So I wanted to ask you now a little bit bigger picture. I've noticed you've You've written some blogs. You've been on a number of podcasts like this. You, you know, you're a businessman. You're obviously really busy running three companies. I'm curious why you talk to people like me on podcasts. Is it just to bring you more business or is it more of like a higher purpose? Like you want to help people get started? Uh, thank you for asking. I want to help people get started. I don't, I, I appreciate the listeners, but I don't expect any business from this. I can get business organically and it's great, but actually I'm doing this 
And I reached out to you because, hey, I love your podcast and I think it's great with what you're doing. Thanks. And I think it's Thanks. excellent when a business owner or a salesman or someone is actually doing their own podcast because they're imbuing and infusing their information, their data into the listeners. And those listeners are eager looking for answers and looking for ways to improve themselves, which is the key. They're looking to improve themselves. So, yes, I like to do this because I want to say, hey, here's how you can improve yourself. Here's how you can do better because I'm in business like you are. And I deal with a lot of people every day. I get so many calls and so many emails. And I notice that something that's coming out in the world is some people are not educated in certain ways. And I would love the opportunity to say, hey, here's some good points on how to do business better. You know, for example, like, hey, don't give up, be persistent. You don't just call someone once and be done and go up. Oh, they didn't call me back. I'm done. You got to keep calling them. And today's age, which you'll probably agree with, Gordon, is it takes three times as much now to close a deal where maybe 10 years ago, sure, you can close it and it's done. But now it's like three times harder because you have to keep that person's attention, whoever the prospect is, and then remind them of why they liked it over and over and then finally get them to cross the line and go, OK, I'm going to give you the order. Even after they tell you they're going to give you the order, <laughs> you still need to keep like persisting and saying, OK, here's the invoice. OK, pay for the invoice. OK, here's what I got to train you or whatever. So persistence and don't give up is number one. And number two is communication. Really communication is key. And unfortunately, the electronic age is now training people that communication is not as important because you could just write, you know, TBT on a, on a text or, you know, I'll let you know, or what I, I keep, you know, our, whatever, all these acronyms that my kids yeah. know, which yeah. in the business world doesn't really work. You actually right. need to open your mouth and communicate and have a conversation and create some love there, which means you got to get someone to like you and then get them to talk back to you. And it's really key in communicating that you, A, call the person, talk to them, have a good manners, and then also do follow up too. If they ask you for something, you know, follow up and replying to emails is key. And, you know, just, just the communication alone and just that is key in today's world because I deal with so many people that, A, don't reply to emails, don't return phone calls. I understand you get busy, totally got it, but you just got to keep that in no matter what. And, you know, like, for example, if you're going to start a new business here, anyone who's starting a new business, go get yourself a website, go get yourself a URL. It's very cheap, very cheap. Yep. Do not use Gmail or AOL. It makes you look professional if you have your own John at johnsmith.com. And it's so right. cheap to do. Right. And put that in your email, put it in your signature, promote it, build a website, you know, get a good CRM software, you know, <laughs> that you could use mm -hmm. that keeps you up to date um, to follow up as well. So, so I want to do this to help people. Just these words alone, hopefully someone at Snaps, they go, oh, you're right. And then they get some sale because of it. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it. And I agree with you that persistence when you're trying to break through to people is just so critical because most business, I could tell you for myself, you know, I get probably, I don't know, 75 or 100 unsolicited emails a day. Yeah. Uh, from, you know, various companies. And I don't know if these are real people or bots or automated or marketing automated. You know, I'm not sure exactly where they're coming from, but you really can't reply to, you, you could spend your whole day doing nothing, but so you don't. Yeah. And as a result, it is hard for people to break through. Um, it is, but let me point. So you're right about the bots. That was good you brought that up. But, I, but you've probably noticed that you will reply quicker to an email address that actually says John at John Smith or whatever, quicker than 2563 at gmail.com. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I tell your listeners, don't get the, if you're going to do business, do not use that as your business email, because if you are soliciting that way, 
you will get deleted right away because I do not reply to those emails, especially when people say, oh, I own a website company and I can make your website better and I can do all this. And I immediately look at the email. And if the email is 2653 at gmail or yahoo.com, I hit delete because I just know that if they couldn't invest the time to get a real website and a real email, then I'm not going to invest my time to reply to that email. And obviously, the more personalized it is, the more it's likely to stand out. You know, if I say, hey, you know, Ryan, I heard you on the Winning on Main Street podcast last week, automatically, you know, this is somebody who's put a little time into thinking about this email, as opposed to we here at Tech Titans USA, yeah. you know, it's just like any company could say that. Yeah, right. I yeah. agree with you. Yeah, introduction starts like that are not good. What I have found with emails is ask a question, the subject line, give the answer in the body of the email. But yes, yeah, say the person's name, John. And then very, and make it succinct and simple. Sometimes you get these emails, Gordon, you'll see they're like four paragraphs long and you're like, right. I, I don't, you know, you're, you're yeah. a successful businessman too. Yeah. You don't have time for this. Just yeah. ask a question, give an answer and pray and hope they right. reply back. <laughs> right. Get to the point. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So just moving on here, I'm curious, you're a successful business person in California. You have three companies. I hear a lot of people complaining about California these days. I hear a lot of companies uh, leaving California. You hear, you know, people going to Texas, people going to Florida, either due to the high taxes or, high, you know, lots of homeless now in L.A. and San Francisco, complaints about the governor and so forth. What's what's your view as somebody who's really in the trenches there in California? What, what, what's your view on what's going on there and, and any thoughts about more nationally as well from a business perspective? So I have lived in California for many years. The state is aesthetically beautiful. It is a beautiful state. The mountains, the beaches, the, the, the air, the temperature. It is a great state. It has so much beauty. And unfortunately, the state has had its issues over the last year or years. And I think it has more to do with, with the government of it and, and then people agreeing with the government because the government can go as far as they can if the people keep supporting them. So I do believe that, you know, you have to look at one side or the other. Do you, you know, I have, I have many friends that have left. I've actually counted like 53 friends that have left the state and gone to other states. Wow. And, and, but I am staying here. One, my wife wants to, I probably would have, been there, <laughs> but, but we do have a child in school here, so we can't just get up and leave that quickly. Sure. But the state does help me with business. I mean, originally when I came here, and I moved to California, the state, all the people, I, I came here because there was so much energy. People wanted to make movies. They wanted to write scripts. They wanted to start a business, you know, in, you know, Silicon Valley. And I've noticed that's kind of waned or just, you know, just gone down a little mm. bit due to the recent couple of years. And it is what it is. But I know I still want to run businesses from here. And I will tell you that my event business, you know, I kind of need to stay because we do a lot of events and we're well known with the city and state for events. So sure. we're going to stay for that. And two, my marketing business does well here too. My wholesale business, I mean, I can do the business anywhere, but when you're physically needed to put on events in the state of California, it's probably best to stay. But we do do events nationwide. We do a lot of events in Texas. We've done events in Utah mm -hmm. and so forth. So I'm right now it's, it's fine for me staying. Do I think it will get do, at the point we're at? I think it hit the precipice. I don't think it's going to get worse, to be honest mm -hmm. with you, because I think that there's so much notice about the state not doing well that now it can only go up. So, right. but I, I'm going to stay for now. And um, I think if, if people like the, the beauty of the state, they should stay. I think if they're paying high taxes and they're selling horses and horses aren't really sold in California and more in Texas, then they should go to Texas. <laughs> Got it. So 
what's next for Ryan Coogler? You got three businesses. I, I assume now the COVID's hopefully kind of coming to an end. Maybe even the events businesses looking up. Things are you know brightening up generally right now economically. Um, are you looking to start business number four? What, what do you see you know, around the corner? That's a good question. So first, my first thing is to get the event business back up to normal, back up to, you know, let's just call it February 2020. Okay, so I'm basically, I'm kind of restarting a business, okay, mm. because it, it kind of died over the last year, we actually just got our first income today for an event that we booked. So that to me is a start. So it's like, hey, I got my first dollar. Nice. So I'm building that company back up, and I'm going to get it back up to 30 events. Okay. Um, the other two businesses are kind of, you know, on their own, you know, just kind of running as a machine organically, which is great. The marketing business did drop a little bit. So pick that back up. Okay. So get the business, all three back up to the state that it was in February, 2020. Uh, and then from there, then go back to the original, you know, plans of, okay, let's double the business. Would I do a fourth business? I've always wanted to do a fourth business and I've always looked for a fourth business. Uh, ironically, it's kind of, you know, a, a detriment to my life, but I would like to find a product that I can <laughs> manufacture and sell yeah. you know, being that I'm in the closeout business. I don't want to close out my own product, <laughs> but I would love to do that. Uh, so I am always looking for the right item and being that I have such a vast education on what products sell and what don't and what retailers buy and what retailers don't, I'm yeah. very picky. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been around the block there. So I know what I want. But that would probably be the only thing that I think about maybe, you know, on a Sunday night at seven o'clock. Oh, should I should I sell that? Because, you know, I watch Shark Tank and I see all these new yeah. products and yeah. I can instantly go, that's going to be a closeout. That's going to do well. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, with such a busy life, the three businesses, it sounds like you have a wife and children, family. What do you do for fun? Watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been a little limited what you do for fun in the last year because yeah, you know I'm in yeah. California, the right. jail state, so we can't. Yeah. We haven't been able to go out until a few weeks ago. I am very entrenched with my kids, so uh -huh. you know, birthday party. I'm the type of father that goes to the birthday party and nice. goes to the the gymnastics class and sits there and watches. You know, just because I love kids and my kids, and I think it's great to see them and. You know, and it's always fun to go and network at these little birthday parties and hear right. what's the latest after eating the usual pizza and cake. So uh, so I guess that my kids are my hobby. And, you know, being the event business is going to pick back up. The event business was my hobby. That was my golf game because okay. it would take me every Saturday and Sunday morning for six right. to eight hours. Right. So because it is kind of fun when you're managing thousands of people who come, you set up a whole event and at you know, mm. six in the morning, they all show up, they all leave by 10, you close it up and the whole thing's done. Wow. You know? So that's really it. Other than that, travel, you know, be with the wife. And, you know, it's, I mean, over COVID, we uh, I have, we counted, I think I've been to, you know, 10 or 15 resorts. So because in California, oh, really? we wanted to get out and go places. Okay. <laughs> so just a little weekend trip. So that, there you go. Very good. Very yeah. good. Well, Ryan, this has been great. I really appreciate you joining us and, and spending a few minutes on winning on Main Street. Our audience, I think, really enjoys hearing, you know, from successful entrepreneurs, how they made it, what they did, what the keys were the, to their success. And so, you know, your words of wisdom, I think, will really be appreciated by everybody. Thank you. I appreciate it. Great questions. And I love your background. One day we'll flip this around and I can interview you. That would be awesome. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and tell a friend or colleague to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Until next time, make a great week.